0: Hey guys, what's good? You're listening to London College of Communication's Value Talks, a series where we bring together figures from across the creative industries to chat about contemporary issues and the importance of creativity. I'm Timothy Ogu. I'm a multidisciplinary artist and a creative director, and I graduated from LCC back in 2017. Today, I'll be joined by three guests to discuss writing for and about women, from inspiration and advocacy to making space to be heard. You'll hear from Zing Sang, editor-in-chief of Vice UK, podcast host for BBC Sounds and Spotify and author of the 2018 book series Forgotten Women contributing editor for Grazia UK, Lynn Enright who has written for Vogue, The Guardian, The Irish Times and published Vagina, a re-education back in 2019 and Charlie Cracks, an award-winning activist, writer, actress and presenter who authored the 2017 book To My Trans Sisters It's time to hear from our panellists but just a reminder, you can also head over to the LCC YouTube channel to watch our value talks as they happened I hope you guys enjoy.
1: Hi, my name is Zing Sing. I'm a journalist, an author and an editor. Right now I'm the editor-in-chief of Vice UK and I also wrote a four book series called Forgotten Women, which is all about women who have been left out of the history books. Nice, nice, awesome.
2: Song. I am Charlie Craig. Singh actually did the first. I'm sorry to embarrass you, Singh, but <laughs> Singh actually, the reason I'm here today, <laughs> Singh did the first ever piece of press about my campaign I ran called Nail Transphobia no. about, I feel like seven years. It must be a while now, seven, five, seven years, yeah. a long time ago, mm-hmm. allegedly, showing my age. But um, I ran a campaign called Nail Transphobia, um, where I travel around the country with a pop-up nail salon and offer the public free manicures. I just realized as I did that, that's why I'm missing a nail. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For the (laughs) chance to have a chat with a trans person, I also have a book called To My Trans Sisters, Mm -hmm. and um, I presented BBC's Transitioning Teens.
3: Nice. Hi, I'm Lynn Enright and I am a journalist. Um, I've written for publications like Vogue, uh, The Irish Times, The Guardian. I'm a contributing editor at Grazia and I am the author of a book called Vagina, a Re-education, which is about vaginas and women's health and, and how women's health um, is often overlooked.
0: Nice, nice. And I guess to elaborate more on your points, so I'd just love to know how you guys got here today. What was your journey from even university or even prior to university to getting yourself here for this
2: uh,
1: panel. I thought you were asking, like, what bus I took. No, today. no, no. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, you know we can go bus? into that yeah. as well
0: if we go inside. is, it? yeah.
2: just really trying to show off the fact that she did get public transport here. Yeah. She's told, During like, heat three times. Like,
1: time. like, <laughs> ah. <Just like>, <laughs> I'm an eco yeah, I, yeah. des- I deserve the medical. Bravery. So basically, I studied journalism as a master's at City University in London, and... Uh, got an internship at a fashion magazine called Wonderland. Mm -hmm. And this was in the heyday of Instagram starting out and everyone was still slapping filters on everything. This is a very long time ago. Um, And very quickly after the internship, I graduated. And then they said, do you want to do the online stuff, the website, the social channels? In hindsight, absolutely wild. They would give a 21-year-old that amount of power, especially given what social media would become. But back in those days, people were like, what is this Instagram thing? I don't really care. Like, Just put whatever you want up. Yeah. So from there, I kind of got into fashion journalism. I worked at Dazed for two years as their digital news editor. And then I went to Vice to set up a feminist vertical cop broadly. And then from there, I stuck around at the company until they had no choice but to promote me. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice,
0: I like that. I like that force. swing. <laughs>
2: And you said? I actually like I said so Zing when you were at Broadly uh, I think it's when it just started out as well because yeah. I remember you writing in the email like hey we're starting this thing and, and I'd never done any press before around my campaigning because I was just doing campaigning yeah. for campaigning's sake I literally wasn't even getting paid to do my events back then um and Zing was like messaged me and I was like mm, I'm not sure and then I was like okay go on then you seem really nice <laughs> glad I did but um yeah like and then it just kind of it was really unexpected, but it just it really gave me a voice all of a sudden in the media because there was such a lack of trans voices mm. back when Zing did that, and maybe like it was probably like 2015-ish, mm. and um, like I, I guess I was just granted a voice because there was not many other voices. I'm just very lucky that um, I, yeah, I've kind of maintained that voice over the years and tried to grow it and. Mm. Um, yeah I've just been very very fortunate but that I actually studied at UAL as well so I went to LCF nice, nice. Um, and yeah my project Nail Transphobia was my final project on that degree um, so yeah I feel very very like it's a nice 360 moment to be back here at my old uni with the person who kind of
3: doesn't
2: yeah. need to think about a way of linking you into yeah, this situation. Go on, right. yeah, tell us about what you do. I'm sure we'll find <laughs> okay, something. Okay, we'll find a connection. <laughs>
3: um, well, I, similarly to Zing, I was, um, I got into journalism through fashion journalism, mm. and that wasn't what I, I did a master's in journalism in, in general, but um, I'd always been drawn to fashion journalism, but also I think to women's magazines and and sort of the variety of, of subjects and topics that that those magazines encompass so fashion was kind of the the way i got in and the mm. first subject i concentrated on but then once i was in i realized that women's magazines like there's so much more to them yeah. and 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 that became my passion really so anything that you could say uh, a woman you know or indeed a person is interested in really you know so it's the the remit is is broad so I am trying to think of like first jobs I was features editor at a magazine in Ireland and then I came back and worked at uh, the well now it's the stylist groups never underdressed which Mm. was a fashion website Mm. which no longer exists. And basically, I have, I mean, I don't think it's a specific misfortune. I think it's what it is to work in the media in the last 15 years that you end up saying, and that is now sadly closed down Mm -hmm. and that is now sadly shuttered or or ip you know so never underdressed was um a fashion website that the stylist group um established and we were there for around a year and a half and then from there i was freelance and then i went to a website called the pool which was it started around the same time as broadly Mm -hmm. and i think they were quite they were doing quite similar things Mm -hmm. but broadly was probably slightly younger and slightly I don't like the word, but edgier. And the pool was probably, you know, a little a little more mature. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they were, I think they were doing similar things. And I think yeah. they were both doing really good things. And now neither of them yeah. exist. And that's, that, but that is what it feels like to sort of work in this industry at the moment. It, that's, you know, going to happen in your career. And it's going to happen in... In the industry in the industry there are going to be sad losses but it's i suppose it's about kind of um learning what you can taking what you can as an individual but also as a consumer of these products i yeah. think yeah
1: yeah i think it's really sad actually because women's journalism kind of went through this real boom period so yeah. like broadly Neverland, Address the pool the debrief they were all kind of around the same time yeah. i think and then i should i feel like in our case in vice's case Vice like sucked in all these different content verticals and then back into the main mothership of Vice because they were like, Oh, it doesn't really make sense to just have separate websites for different audiences when you could just have a accumulation of all the audiences in one place. Mm-hmm. So that's why they ended up shutting down broadly. I'm not sure what um what was behind the pools.
3: Well, I think it was it was a business decision and I think the business hadn't been uh hadn't been looked after as it, as it should have been. And I think, but I think it was quite frustrating because then around that time, there were a lot of media articles that said, well, you know, all these websites, they've been and gone, they didn't work and they, you know, they didn't work for the same reason. And actually, I don't think that was true. There were quite specific um, reasons for, for these places shutting and there is an audience and that i think we were doing really good work and it shouldn't just be kind of you know thought of as well there's not the audience there but yeah it is it uh, that said it is tricky you know it's a it's a tricky business Mm.
0: And i wanted to ask because you've all had a similar trajectory all of you but in the same breath you've also been able to claim spaces that were not always for a lot of women aren't always there and how have you found that making your way in the industry? Like, I love how you all said you've kind of worked on offshoots of different bigger brands. Was it was it easier? Was did you find the opportunities more open there? And then, if you wanted to make that, for example, it, yourselves and going to vice, did you find that jump was difficult, or what was your experiences? I'd love to know.
1: Oh, I think. When Vice came knocking, I think I was really ready to leave fashion journalism behind because I was in fashion news around the time when there was this real explosion of like, the content explosion, basically, you know, how you have like, you know, you have spring, summer, autumn, winter, then all of a sudden there was like resort, then there was like men's fashion week. It literally felt like a never ending content train. And because I wasn't the person getting invited to like the glitzy launches or the front row seats. I was the content person in the back, like hammering out the copy. Mm. It's just very, I was starting to feel myself get burnt out. Mm. And because it feels so effeminate, like it feels so kind of, non-existent like you know it's there one day and gone the next and then it's next season and then you're always thinking of the next thing I felt like I was kind of on a treadmill Mm. and I kind of wanted to get out and do journalism that was a bit more thoughtful a bit more kind of consumer led a bit less trend led Mm. I think Um, and felt like a bit more not that it wasn't substantive, but I just wanted to do something that felt like really, really like intellectually challenging. And at the time working on a platform like Broadly that was like explicitly feminist and very political, Mm. felt like the kind of challenge I needed.
2: Yeah.
0: Do we miss that space, do you think? Do we miss those like purposely driven? Are those spaces? Yeah. Do those spaces still exist? Like, and and if so, where? But do we miss those purposely, you know what you're getting, fall to the floor almost hardcore, yeah, this is who we are, this is where we stand. If you don't like it, go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, I think for women's, for women's audiences, I definitely miss, like, the existence of publications that were, like, solely targeting, you know, women who are interested in, like, challenging political thinking. Um, especially with something like Roe versus Wade getting overturned. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things that we did, covered a lot of it broadly, was reproductive rights. And this is at a time when, you know, people were absolutely certain Roe versus, Roe v. Wade was going to stick around forever and ever and ever, and that abortion rights was never going to be something up for debate. And, you know, all the reporting we did around it suggested, oh, no, it's kind of scary. People are firebombing abortion clinics mm-hmm. and nobody's talking about it. So it, I kind of miss the fact that we had that space to talk about these things and to kind of challenge the audience and say, well, you know, maybe this isn't what you like to hear, but this is the way the world is going. Mm. So, yeah, I do miss it. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was something we did a lot at the pool, actually. And it was um, it, while I was there, the Repeal the Eighth campaign was happening in the Republic of Ireland, which is where I'm from. So I was kind of, um, I suppose... Well, very, very interested in that. And we had the freedom um, at the pool to concentrate on uh, on subjects that we were really interested in, which I think then allowed us, you know, I think when you're able to do that for your journalists, then they can bring the audience on a journey with them. And so I think it was, you know, that was something I was really glad to have been able to do at the pool. And um, that was a really sort of lovely and triumphant experience because The Eighth Amendment was repealed and it was a victory. But um, absolutely, what's happening now just proves that you can never be complacent. Uh, And I feel like perhaps around the time that, you know, these sites were shuttering, there was a sense of like feminism had been, uh, you know, a slightly a trend uh, and when something becomes a trend it can be quite dangerous because then it, you know trends come in and out and it was a bit like well we've heard enough of you know kind of and I think rightly we'd, we'd heard you know it was like f- feminism had to be more intersectional and that was true but I think to sort of th- say well we've heard enough about you know feminism for middle class white women actually I think that's kind of almost over I think that was a real mistake because now we're looking at the fact that you know uh, reproductive rights are being taken away from people in America. I think the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard internet vitriol has has proven, you know, that we 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 can't be complacent. And I think, yeah, it is a loss to lose these places that were. Um, very explicitly feminist, but also, I think, very accessible. Um, and I think that was a really nice combination that was existing in in British media for those years that perhaps we don't have in the same way anymore. Yeah.
0: Just to pick up on that point, I mean, a lot of people would say, and I like the idea you talked about accessibility, like now we have socials, we have people that are content providers like yourself. You? And would you say those are in replace in replacement of that? Or do we still need those specific websites Is it enough to have the people that are content producers producing it on a a regular basis for the people? Or do we need those spaces where you can go and
2: be like, this is where I'm going to get my info?
3: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, yeah.
2: I definitely have something to say about that, because I know um, I've been feeling really burnt out like the last couple of years, the last maybe even like, just before the pandemic, I was just like, noticing that I'd be like doing my makeup for work and just like couldn't stop crying. I'm like, I can't go to work today. So I was almost like glad when the pandemic hit and I had like time to just stay at home and just like get what I was feeling out of my system, because like it's, there's so many, so much to be sad about right now. And obviously as a trans person, there's stuff that's just, it just feels like it's like every day I'm just like, can we catch a break please? Like, can you leave us alone? And um, feeling like expected, because I just said about how there's not many trans voices here in the, media there's not many trans voices in the world in the media but it's even smaller in the UK it means that like the people who are in the social media the media it's like on our backs to do all the talking about it because the mainstream media is not talking about it like they're doing the opposite they're like Putting out so much misinformation that we're then having to unpack and explain to the public. Actually, this is a lie. Actually, don't believe this. And it's so, it's too much. I'm not BBC News. I can't be expected yeah. that. I'm not Broadly. I'm not the pool. That's why we needed these places. And like, when you think about it, Broadly was really ahead of the conversation in the same way the pool, when they wrote about me, were as well. But Broadly, like, you did that piece of me, like I said in 2015, when like this concept of like turfism wasn't even like a. I had. I remember at that point when we you interviewed me, and I remember being asked about like the abuse I get in the street back then it was primarily from like thuggish, yobbish men, like football sport kind of men. Now I'm like, getting more abuse from women. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that wasn't like, do you mean like, if that, it was such a, I'm like, oh my God, like it's come, the conversation has come such a long way. And like the debate has come such a long way. And like that platform being a kind of such an, it it had the potential to be a really important and it was such an important kind of, like meeting ground i mm-hmm. guess and like a, a a really just a platform to make sure that we're all on the same page of our feminism
1: yeah and i think the thing is about you know the whole can content creators displace traditional forms of media whether that's online or print is that it's a really unfair burden to place on content creators yes, like yes. yourself oh you know God. like someone like someone like beyonce has an entire team of people mm. just to run her socials and, but then underneath that, there's whole tiers of content creators who do not have teams, mm. and they feel the pressure to be online constantly, to be posting all the time, to be checking their traffic. This is These are all completely different jobs that are performed by completely different people, by people with much bigger teams. And we're expecting these people to somehow be across all of that and at the same time be, you know, posting all the time, be Mm. absolutely correct in all their opinions to look good as well because Mm. that matters to the algorithm. It's just a completely unfair burden of expectation. Mm. And because so many content creators tend to be, you know, like younger because they're the ones who are most plugged into social media, it's like you're putting all this unfair burden on people who, you know, haven't been around for that long, who might not have like 30 years of skin in the game, don't have that like experience. Mm-hmm. And you're just like putting all this weight on them to be absolutely correct all the time and look amazing while doing it. So, I mean, God bless. it. I don't know how people let like you do it.
2: I don't do it. <laughs>
1: <That's>, <laughs> I stopped for a while.
2: I was doing it. And I was like, I can't do this. I physically can't be posting every time. Cause it's literally every day, like the the, the time stat that sticks in my mind is that they did 324 articles all negative about trans people, not a single one by a trans person in a year, in a year that we had a global pandemic when they should have been writing about that. And it's like, I can't be writing, that's 324 days. That's like basically one day. I can't go on Instagram and unpack why that's wrong every day of the year, I can't. But I, on top of like it, about being like not having the teams or the time or the emotional like kind of energy, it's also like, we don't have the knowledge. I'm a fucking, I went to fashion school. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what you're like, do you know what I mean? Like no offense LCF, but like, I shouldn't. That should you shouldn't be looking at me to like. Do you know what I mean like in the same way? Like we need these platforms because like your journal, is very different. Being like um, a journalist who's researched something and to someone who's just given their opinion and maybe they don't even have. I'm not saying I don't have well-informed opinions, but like someone who's just like I think this and it's just like a, a knee-jerk reaction. Like we need we need platforms like that for definitely, a reason. Definitely, definitely. And I I completely I can I can relate in terms of like
0: post George Floyd and Ham and the conversation about race. And I always thought that my answer to this was, or answer to certain platforms was, we need everything. You need content creators, of course, but you also need platforms to start understanding. So you need the BBC News, you need the Sky News, you need the major platforms to start understanding and representing us. But then we also need our own new forms of content where we can go and we can find our content specifically yeah. for us, by us, FUBU from the top to the bottom. And I think and I pray, I hope like it gets like that, because for me, I'm just in a position where I need to learn. I'm There's so many questions I want to ask, and it's hard because I think someone on the outside, you don't know where to get that content from, and you can't place it on a content creator to just come in and be like, yeah, okay, you're the guy. Every day, you're going to tell me something. It's like, no, like you said, there's teams that do this. But if you're not getting it from the major sources, if they're not feeding it to you, because it's they're just in places where in corners and, and, and crutches of the internet, that it's hard for a content creator or just even a new startup um, content place to just get to. So I, I completely understand I mm-hmm. I really feel for that, that type of, the, the misinformation that must just get spread out and then it carries and then social, and then mm-hmm. it comes around the wind until someone goes, excuse me, wait, let's dispel that myth that's been going around for two weeks. This is right, this is, and that is wrong. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's really tough. I, I really feel for you guys, um, and I, I, yeah, and I'm I, I'm very empathetic to that. But I pray we get. Um, hopefully, we can set it up now. We can set up our own tip-in yeah. content place.
1: What the media needs is people who are good with money and know how to make money. Like mm. I know it's really like mm-hmm. basic, but. Yeah the media is not short of people who are really talented can write can present you know really great investigative you know that it's full of these kind of people and mm. there's they need to give more opportunities to people from different backgrounds to do yeah. that but what it also needs is people who actually understand you know journalism is important and we need to find a way to fund it properly yes. and you know making this kind of content is important and people need to be paid for it mm. and it shouldn't be hand to mouth it shouldn't be someone you know selling out a company to do something else it, it needs to be something that is completely, you know, for us us buyers and ethically done. With a proper infrastructure as well. Yeah, Yeah,
0: definitely. In the last five years, guys, you've all written books about women. Can you each explain a bit more about your book and and your perspectives?
3: Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, Um, So I wrote a book called Vagina, a Re-education, and um, it's a sort of mix of um, facts and biology, but also personal stories and also some, I suppose, thinking about how the fact that we're not always very clued in about our own bodies, how that impacts, you know, bigger, issues like, for example, reproductive rights and and, and the abortion um, referendum in Ireland. So that was kind of very important to me. Um, but also the Me Too movement, while I was writing it, those were kind of two things that happened. So, you know, I was kind of writing this book about women's bodies and, um, and, and the vagina and sort of, you know, it literally has diagrams about, you know, where everything is, but also kind of considering that in, in, in connection with these bigger themes and how they um, intersect. And so that was kind of what the book is and it was really interesting it came out in this year that there were a lot of books kind of with similar topics um but also it was interesting when i was doing it that i I realized that you know a lot of this work had been done before Um, and i think that's often what you find as a feminist you're sort of doing work and you realize oh hang on this other feminist did this like when i was a kid so I'll, I'll acknowledge their work but also why why haven't i heard of them and why didn't i already know this if this work has already been done um but it's it's one of those things that you know it we go backwards as well as going forwards and that's obviously really clear with roe versus wade and and, and that decision and um, so i think that it was quite interesting for for me I, I was a person looking at it in 2018 2019 this had been done before but it was important to do it again and I think there will come a point at which it's important to do it again the cycle unfortunately yeah.
0: yeah
2: And the conversation with yeah. Child, woman? um uh, my book which I never talk I'm like the worst author I always forget I'm like I never talk about my book <laughs> so I'm going to try and re- like remember my elevator pitch from like 5 years ago when it came out is um a collection of about 100 letters from trailblazing trans women um kind of offering advice to trans people at the start of their journeys. So it's kind of like, it's what I wish I had at the start of my journey. Because most people, most people period, that includes include trans people, haven't met a trans person. I was about two years into transition when I met my first trans person. So like, you don't have like a, a big sister figure to be like, hey, like, like the like the 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 kind of surface level stuff about actual like physical transition, but also like the, the deeper stuff, like how to deal with I don't know, like your family rejecting you, how to deal with like the abuse you're gonna get literally every single day in the street. Like so it's it's like kind of the book I wish I had, and it's a book of just sisterly advice from sisters all over the world of so all different kind of walks of transness and walks of womanhood, of all different like ages, creeds, cultures, colours sexualities, gender expressions Mm. and doing different jobs. Like it's all the kind of women as well, like you said about how uh, people that you won't have even known about, you're like, why didn't I know this? It's so like, it's so wrong. And it it links back to what I said earlier about like, main, like we need these to be like kind of documenting and like doing the work we do because mainstream isn't gonna be, you know, like it's so important to kind of preserve our community's cultures. Um, So it was, yeah, about that for me as well as about kind of creating this like kind of Artifact of like archiving mm. the work of the amazing people who have come before, who everyone should know, but even I didn't know until I, I looked them up. Like people, like not the Laverne Coxes and Munro Bergdoffs, but the kind of I don't know. Like, there's a woman in it called Alicia Bravard who um, passed away while it was like being printed, and I'm so grateful I got to have her story in there because it's just chance I found out about her because I remember like finding her website, which was like a really janky, like, sorry, Alicia, but like, she was like, <laughs> like a really old website from like the two th- early 2000s, like a MySpace website. And she was like one of the first like trans people uh, to be on like primetime TV in America, like, but it was she was stealth, so no one knew she was trans at the time. And uh, she was one of the first people in the world to have like sexual reassignment surgery and like things like that. And I was just like oh my God, like, wow. Like, yeah. Mm. So I'm really proud of that.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting you talk about archiving and things going back because I guess my book series is a kind of acknowledgement of all those things. So it's basically a four book series of biographical profiles from of women from all walks of life, all over the world, all different time periods, who were enormously successful either in their own time or like directly after their death, but who have just kind of been forgotten from the history books. And one of the things that has been really nice about doing these stories is that slowly you start to see some of them get more picked up in the 21st century. So for instance, I wrote about Sylvia Rivera. And, you know, now she's kind of a trans rights icon. And I think probably about five, six years ago, when I started writing about her, people knew, like, if you were into LGBTQ history, you probably would have heard her name. But now, you know, if you look her up on, like, google there are literally etsy shirts of her face literally, which is yeah. amazing and you know there's going to be a hilma Clint, she's a famous uh painter who kind of predates a lot of the kind of uh, modernist art it's amazing work but she was kind of dismissed as a kind of crazy woman um, and she's having a big retrospective of the tape that later on this year. And it's all these women who were kind of forgotten from history or weren't given the credit that they deserved at the time. And it's about kind of archiving their stories, understanding that maybe there's a point in time where someone else is just gonna have to archive it all over again because people are gonna forget. Because what I really learned from those books is that you can be the most famous person of your time in your empire or kingdom or you know whatever country you come from. But if people aren't actually you know saying your name and writing your name down, putting statues of you up putting you in books people are going to forget you and that's just such a shame because so many lives have been lost in that way yeah
0: 100% and what can I ask for all of you if you wrote your books today I mean I know you said it's like an ongoing series but if you wrote your books today would it change? would you add anything? or Ooh. would you that's a like, good question yeah. Yeah. I've never been asked that it's just, it's just interesting because I think all of you have all kind of mentioned that in the political and societal space that you wrote the books in, like you were saying, there were so many people that were missed out, but now people, there are some, some that are more celebrated. And like, is that a, or would you just continue, if if you were writing, would you just kind of continue on from where you started and just maybe add more? I'd love to know.
3: Yeah, interesting. I mean, I think a few things have changed. I think the conversation about trans rights um, has changed. Uh, I thought, you know, I think in some ways, perhaps I was naive that I thought it was, um, uh, you know, the toxic uh, conversation was there online, but I sort of thought, well, maybe if we could all sit around and get in a room and take it offline and have good faith conversations about this we could all kind of figure this out together and actually now depressingly I think that I was naive in thinking that I think that there is a really anti-trans um, feeling and movement that is really powerful and I at the time didn't I think didn't quite realize that was na- naively I didn't quite realize that so that would be something that kind of would would need to um, I would need to look at again because it was really important to me to write a book that included the trans experience and um, and to sort of think about it you know in this book about vaginas does a vagina define a person or not um and and to sort of hash that out and to think about that but i suppose i would need to update um, mm-hmm. the book and and not for the better mm-hmm. so that's quite depressing. And then the other thing is obviously the abortion rights in the US. Abortion rights in Northern Ireland um, have been granted since the publication of the book. And that is a, a huge triumph. The services there are not up to scratch and people are still having to travel. Um, so that, was, But they have been granted and that is a, a, a major triumph. And yet, in in America, it's going the opposite way. And again, I think, I suppose it was naivety. Like you said, I just think people thought you were sort of nuts if you would have suggested that that would have happened um, five or six years ago. But actually, it just... All of what's happening now just really makes me realise you can't be complacent. Mm-hmm. So I suppose I would have to sort of update it with some facts, but the basic sense of like, you can never be complacent, mm-hmm. it is <laughs> has really come to the fore and, and become very obvious.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess same. I think um, mine would just be a lot more political. I think when I did the book, I did it in like 2016, 17. And again, like that was, I feel like, it was starting the kind of murmurings around like anti-transness, but like not not to the for close to the extreme that it is now. And I think um, the letters that the people would have written would have been a bit more political. It's a bit like don't get me wrong. There's a lot of like just, like one of the letters literally is like eight words, and it's like. Always carry flat shoes. With, uh, you're gonna need, or something like that, as if, as if to say, like you're gonna need to like run one day. And I'm like, oh my god, that's so depressing. But it's true. I've been attacked multiple. So I was literally like spat on the tube at the start of this year. Do you know what I mean, like, oh god, yeah, sorry. yeah, it's okay. But like, things are getting. Worse. I've got a court date. so <laughs> <laughs> Ding. Um, but uh, yeah, like, it's just yeah. I think it's, it's really depressing when you kind of look at, like just when I look at the trans community, especially trans women, Like it's never about trans men, let's be real, like it's all about trans, it's got so bad, um, it's really depressing to think like, we've all been putting all this work in, even the allies as well, and it's like, for fucking what? Like, mm. sorry if I'm not allowed to swear, but like, for what? Do you know what I mean? That's really, so I think it would be a lot more political, um, a bit more bold, mm. probably be in some countries
1: which is a sign <laughs> of a, a good book ending, yeah I was exactly, gonna say that
2: yeah I yeah, wouldn't be allowed in America
1: <laughs> I, I would have put more queer women and trans women in the books I think across all the different disciplines because and it's odd because so the books came out five years ago and you know you do the whole like publicity circuit you go on it, and you like do your little spiel and you talk about the people and books and the biggest amount of pushback I got was after I did I think it was like with Graham Norton's radio show, bless Graham, great guy. Um, But I was talking about the kind of women who were in it, mentioned Sylvia and he was, you know, we had a nice chat about it, didn't think anything more of it. And then someone was like, you know, you're on Mumsnet. And they had, someone had listened to the radio interview and they'd all gone in this like long forum thread about tearing me apart. They'd gone onto my Instagram, been like, look at how she like poses, she's so fake. It was absolutely nuts. And they'd just done this off a single kind of, anecdote I'd said on the radio. And that was when I was like, wow, is this how intense it's, you know? Because
2: you were putting Sylvia in the book as
1: trans yeah, woman. Yeah, know. exactly. And she, she, you know, she's like one trans woman in a book of, I think it's like 40-something other women. And that was what they picked up on. So if yeah. I would have, if I wrote it today, I would have put in way more women kind of- <laughs> and in trans women just to annoy yeah, everyone, just no, to annoy Why not them. double down? I like, no, yeah. I rate it, I rate it. But yeah, I, I,
0: I feel my my first of all, in all your stories, my heart really pours out, and my empathy it's yeah, I want to we need to have i want to have a conversation with all of you off there because I want to become more of an ally as a, because, yeah, these stories that you're saying, um, I really hope that they they do change. people do change, our opinions change. we all learn, you know, just learn in education. but I just wanted to ask, what's the best things about what you do because I think not to not to negate any of the negative and not to talk about them, but I want to hear what are the positive things, what are the positive anecdotes you can take from all your stories.
3: Um, I suppose it's always just a, a, a privilege. Um, you know, it's a privilege. It's 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 uh, to get to do something that you love. And I love writing, and I love sitting down and and writing, and I love figuring something out as I go. I think as a journalist, you kind of your skill is taking a lot of information and processing that and then putting it back out into the world and hoping that you've, you've sort of made it easier for people to understand and made a, something complicated slightly easier to understand. And I, I, that's something I really enjoy doing and I think is very useful. Um, also meeting people um, and that's colleagues. You know, I think in women's magazines and women's websites I have learned a lot about feminism from my colleagues and and that's been amazing and I think that I have become um, even you know more passionate about certain causes and I think you know in 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 these offices you you get people who have specific interests and but being able to kind of bring those together uh, and, and educate people and, and sort of, um, you know, uh, bring other people to your cause and, and to work in offices where you're able to do that has been a real privilege. But then also as a journalist um, and as a campaigner, you meet people, just amazing people. And that's always, I think, when you come away from a day's work and you've met somebody, you know, inspirational, that is really nice. And yeah, I really love that. I
0: love that. What
1: about you? Um, I guess the impact that you can have on other people, and especially informing and educating them about stuff that they might not have known before. So, I recently did a project called the Unfiltered History Tour, which is a kind of AR experience where you go to the British Museum, you open up your phone, and you scan a contested object or artifact that the british museum say they acquired it rightfully um and in practice it didn't quite work out that way historically um and then what it does is your phone scans it and it brings up uh, a testimony from someone from the country it was taken from explaining what it means to them and their country and their culture and why it deserves to come back i had it was one of the most like moving experiences of my life, like hearing those testimonies from people producing that audio, because there were people who were literally explaining things like, you know, the Easter statue of the Easter Island, that Easter Island statue that you walk past in the British museum, you know, in the, you know, uh, the Pacific Islander section and nobody really looks at it. That to me is the soul of my ancestor. And it is like that Britain has ripped out the soul from my family and has displayed it for people and refuses to give it back. And you listen to stuff like that and you feel enormously moved and you feel really privileged that people are telling you these stories and then you get to share it with people and see the impact it's got on people. And, you know, I get tagged in TikToks of people doing the tour and saying how it made them cry and that is so Powerful and that makes stuff like that worth it. You know, it makes the weeks of wondering whether the British Museum was going to sue us like, <laughs> very <laughs> worth it. Um, and I think that's what I really enjoy about my job. It's like synthesising information that's already out there because that's what journalists are really good at and figuring out how you bring that to an audience to create the best possible impact. Yeah.
2: How the hell am I supposed to follow that? Jesus Christ, how am I skipped like, skip this question? <laughs> oh my God, that was, would make me cry. Don't even know. I, don't, I literally can't even say anything that's gonna be as good as that. Um,
1: Go on, yeah, and you can do it. Actually, yeah, I can't. Actually. No, no, I
2: really can't. Jesus, Christ, that is really beautiful. Uh, let me think. I guess it's it's a bit like obvious and a bit su- X Factor sub story, but do you know what I mean? Like when people do, I got a, I get a lot of. So it's, I guess, when we like. Um, quantify success. Like, my book was definitely not a bestseller. It's definitely not brought me a money because I've written a book that's only going to appeal to like 0.6% of the population. Actually, no, trans women are like half of that even, do you know what I mean? So like, it's, but to get messages, and I get them probably like every week, a nice message from someone saying how much it helped them. And like, one that sticks out to me is from someone, a young trans girl in America. And like, I, my geography is bad, but somewhere, in, somewhere that's not okay to be trans in America. Um, saying how she um, tried to trigger one and tried to kill herself because she's trans and did, was just really depressed and her family don't accept her and everyone in around her in her town doesn't accept her and that she was um, put into like a psych ward and that um, I think she said her sister or someone maybe it was her girlfriend um, bought her my book and she said I don't even like reading and I read it like in a night and that now like I feel like I have sisters in the world and I'm like able to like kind of, I'm able to do this now. Mm. And that's really nice because I've definitely been in that place. And a lot of my community have like this, this uh, the Stonewall stat is something like 45% or something, 48, 45% of young trans people have attempted suicide. I've got trans, multiple trans friends who aren't here anymore because of it, like like I've never tried to, but like, so like I can't even imagine feeling worse than I did. And I've never tried to, but like I, for years felt suicidal. So just like to know that the book helped just a little bit it's a really really nice feeling. Mm-hmm. 100%,
0: yeah. Well thank you for your, very much Charlie for your story and um, I guess I just wanted to ask what is your proudest achievement thus far? I guess you've mentioned a, a, a little bit but yeah I'd love to. <laughs> oh, on God, on. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? To say, guys? Um,
3: yeah well I mean I think yeah I suppose like we've all been saying I think I suppose affecting change is, is something that you can feel very very proud about and I think the, the, I suppose, the sort of most amazing thing that happened was the Eighth Amendment being repealed in Ireland. You know, we had been, I was living here, um, but had been brought up in a country where abortion was completely illegal, where um, the fetus was granted an equal right to life as a woman, which made being pregnant very dangerous. Um, and it was, um, you know, it, that was the culture. And I suppose to be part, like a tiny, 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 tiny part of of a movement of women telling their stories was was really, um, you know, that was really important to me. And, and I feel very proud to have done that. I wrote about having an abortion for Vogue magazine. Um, and I suppose, you know, that kind of, you know, that I grew up reading Vogue, so that was a very yes. proud moment just, you know, to be in Vogue, it's mm-hmm. quite fun, but also to be able to, you know, talk about um, my country's um, problems and silences and, and and sort of, you know, where it's a country of sort of chatter and, and stories, but this was something that our country hadn't spoken about. And so to be able to speak about that in, in, a, in a major publication was, was really great. Um, And yet, you know, I I also feel that women shouldn't have to tell their stories or people shouldn't have to tell their stories to get basic human rights. And so I think that's like, as a writer, as a journalist, as an editor, that's something I'm quite um, mindful of, um, especially because, you know, I did a follow up recently um, for the Irish Times about uh, abortion law in Ireland and how it's working out. And for the most part, it's working out well. But for some people who have terminations for medical reasons, it, it, it's still as bad as ever. And they're still having to travel to the UK to access abortion um, services. So and those people were asked repeatedly to share their stories mm-hmm. And, and And they shared the most horrible uh, and painful experience of their life, and they helped to change minds. It was proven and there was a survey afterwards that hearing women's stories was what changed you know what influenced people the most in that referendum and these women who had t- had terminations for medical reasons you know they shared the most painful experience of their life, and they helped to change minds and yet the law now, even now, it still doesn't allow for those cases, and, and, and people in similar situations will still end up traveling and I spoke to some of those women, and they spoke about what it felt like to have shared everything and, and to have not got the rights really you know and so I think we all have to be careful and we all have to look out for ourselves and you know whether you 're a content creator, whether you 're a journalist or if you 're an editor, you, you need to be mindful about those stories and how you 're using them. Um, at, And yet, that said, I think it can be incredibly powerful. And if you're in a position to be able to do that um, logistically and also emotionally, uh, then I think, you know, it can be really, really good.
2: Mm. What about you, Charlie? Um, This is the proudest moment. Yeah, proudest moment. I feel really proud when... I get like young trans people, like their parents will message me and be like, mom, my child, I show you her your videos or whatever, or like teenagers, whatever, who message me. Like I've even had ones from like my old, I went to an all boys school in Hounslow of all places. So it was not very friendly, LGBT friendly. Um, and it's still not, like I get messages, even from like the one guy who I say, hi, Mr. Booth, if you see this, leave that and he'll love that. Um, he um, was like the, how do you say like? Is it a kid? I don't even know what the word. Sorry, Mr. Boop. <laughs> like, what is it called? Like a uh, someone who like looks after it. Like he was the pastoral like pastoral. Guy. Yeah, that's the one. And he was like, a really big support to me there when I was being bullied. And like he messaged me now, like, oh, I've got a, like a trans kid. They're going through a really hard time here. And like, just like I've had them message me that the kid themselves and be like, you like inspire me so much that not that imagine I was like you inspire me so much. Not that I mean, as into like to fight back, which sound might sound a bit. Sh- weird some people, and I don't care if you think it's weird, but like to, I, I think I'm like just as much known aside from my campaign in my book, my TV thing for being like the gobby trans girl who, if you're going to like, like sit, even if you watch the video of me being spat on, you know, if you see the whole video, I'm like given just as good as I get. And that's what I want. I'm so tired of not just me, but of my whole community being victims. Mm. And when I transitioned, I was like, no more. Like I'm not being a victim anymore, I will die fighting if I have to, but I'm not gonna fucking be a victim to anyone anymore. And I'm like to have young trans people be like empowered by that and to, cause I was not this person before. Pre-transition, like when I was a teenager in school, I was bullied because I was, I, I, let me rephrase that cause I wanna say, you allow yourself to be bullied. But I, back in school, I was a victim. Like when people bully me, I wouldn't stand up for myself. And I, Drew strength from seeing people like Pete Burns, Nadia, people are both on Big Brother actually, but like I drew from their strength and I copied them and it didn't feel natural to me, but like after a while, you fake it till you make it enough and it is just that's just me now I am just a bitch, but like I (laughs) literally like. To think that I'm that for a kid now, mm-hmm. like that in the way that I drew from Pete Burns is like flicking the finger up at the press on the way in. That like now there's like kids going like the teen LGBTs will try me, bitch to people in school. I'm like, oh my god, that makes me so happy to think that little queer kids are standing up for themselves and not being victims. That yes. that's my proud. That's m- all I want my legacy to be.
1: Um, I don't know if I can, if I've got a specific thing. I, I'm, I think what I'm proudest of is just trying to Trojan horse a lot of my politics into the work that I do but in a way that isn't that feels accessible to people um so like for instance like I was talking about the unfiltered history tour and it's very obvious if you listen to all the audio from all the people we spoke to that there's an overall message of like the British Museum doesn't deserve to have this stuff it should be given back to the people it belongs to. Um and you know, there should be some kind of like reparations made. But you'll never like catch me openly saying that because I want to lead people to that conclusion and let them draw it themselves. And similarly with Forgotten Women, um, I was at I was doing a book event and someone came up to me and she was like, you know, I've seen you know the list of women and it's really like I don't know if you intended this, but it's really obvious it's coming from like an anti-colonial, feminist, like LGBTQ friendly like perspective. Is that intentional? And I was like, oh my God yeah de- obviously yeah definitely like I'm so glad you picked up on it but it's also the kind of book you could give to like a 17 year old girl who doesn't know what the world word colonialism is and she can like take away the crux of it and the mm-hmm. message of it mm-hmm. without her being feeling like she's being talked down to or being condescended to for not knowing this stuff before mm-hmm. and that's what I think I'm really proud of doing throughout my career like just making sure the message gets across but in a way that doesn't that feels like it's accessible, that people feel like, you know, I'm like their mate explaining it to them or like telling them something in a fun, informative way and not kind of trying to like preach at them or scold them into thinking something. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's, you know, one of the things that journalists like should be doing, you know, like taking people on a journey. And at the end of that, they've learned something and maybe they've like changed their mind or they feel or they have generated some kind of empathy or compassion for the other person's viewpoint. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, journalism should be all about. Mm. That's what
2: you are doing. Literally, I'm with your piece about me. That's 100%. I've had messages from people saying that's it helped. their so, oh. congratulations, <laughs> you did it, girl. Yeah. You're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh.
0: No, thank you. Thank you very much for your answers. You. And, um, I, well, first of all, did you have any questions for yourselves or did you have anything you wanted to ask each other? Mm.
1: I would ask, like, what keeps you, gu- what keeps you all going? Do you know what I mean? When oh everything gosh. feels yeah. absolutely hopeless. And I'm dog not shit. going. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what makes me think I'm going?
1: Yeah. And do you know, what keeps you going? So we can
2: still your answer. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, I, I mean, I things, I mean, no, sorry, it's too depressing. Things <laughs> <laughs> feel very bleak. Maybe I've got we'll one. ask you, yeah.
0: okay. And then I guess lastly, guys, um, is what would you tell your younger selves? What would you tell your, oh. your university selves? Because um, I think. Everything you've shared today has been mind blowing for me. And I would love to know what you would say to that person leaving uni who may still be fighting these issues, campaigning for these issues, but also personally going through these issues. A lot of the things you've mentioned, i just, yeah, if you could touch on that, that would be
2: amazing. I've got a good answer for that. Because like, yeah. I, I literally started nail transphobia at uni and now it's like my job. And interestingly, I don't know if anyone's religious here. I'm religious. Well, I'm sp- I'd say more spiritual. But actually, I was coming to LCC for my friend's final show in the same year, and I was so coming to this building. And as I got off the tube, I'm pretty sure it sounds, you're going to laugh, but I, I'm pretty sure an angel spoke to me. A lady in the lift, like, was at the lift at the same time. And like, sp- it was just me and her and the, the massive lift going up. No one laughed. And um, she like, I've written it down. I can't even remember off the top of my head, but it was essentially along the lines of she just came and she just spoke loads of words at me. And I was, she was like, God, she just said stuff that like, from looking at me from the outside, you just wouldn't have known that. And it was like, God sees you in your room crying. And like, and I wasn't even out at trying. I'd, I'd like said I was trans but I wasn't living as trans at that point because I looked so fucking awful like I would have just been uh, like beaten up much more than I was so um I don't think anyone would have been I would just looked like a gay boy and she was like god and she basically just told me like I know you're trans like and god knows your god sees you in your room crying when you find the strength when you find the confidence in yourself you're going to do so much to help other people in your community and then like we got off out of the lift and like tapped and I, I gave her, I said can I give you a hug that meant so much And I, I remember like crying and then I thought I want to go back and like, ask her another qu-. and I tried to find her and I could and I, I know it's gonna make me sound crazy I think she's an angel because I'm like I literally ran to try and find her <laughs> I walked to the zebra and then I thought actually let me go and I looked like she's gone and I was like or maybe just like God came through her like, anyway point being then that's when I took Jesus took the wheel I took the wheel and then I've after that, like, have been campaigning since. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel very lucky to have got to do what I do. And I would just tell my youngs, oh, well, you need to strap in because it's going to get worse. going to You're going to be doing it for like two years. And you're like, wow, things are getting really good. And then it's going to what? And then JK <laughs> Rowan is going to say no. And then, yeah, then it's all going to go downhill. But uh, just, yeah, strap in because it's going to be a hard fight, but You've got it. You've got the fighting spirit in you. So just remind yourself you come from a long line of strong women and you can do it. Yeah.
1: Um, imagine, in my head, I was like, imagine if you saw this woman walking the corridors after you leave. The I actually was going to say, yeah. that was you. <laughs> I, was, no, I was thinking, I could
2: actually really do with an angel <laughs> advice today. So I was like, Maybe please let one, me see yeah, her. You know, like, around
3: the corridors,
1: the oh, LCC angel. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, it was really nice. What about you? Oh, yeah, I'm what about
3: you? Again, very difficult to follow. Um, but I suppose kind of similar themes of, you know, life is long and um, and that's good and bad. And that there will be, you know, um, there will be tough times and, and yes, yeah, strap in. Um, but I suppose follow what you're interested in um, and kind of look out for clues as mm-hmm. to how to live life. I think that's, um, I think that can be very useful that you just, Keep, keep open and keep following your instincts and and that should kind of bring you down a, a path sorry i 'm using a lot of sort of yeah self help jargon but i I think connecting with your instinct um, and and that and, and figuring that out in your career but also kind of in your life and i suppose in In journalism, I mean, I definitely feel like I've made mistakes and I've stayed in jobs that I shouldn't have stayed in and I've worked too hard sometimes, like that sounds again, like I, I work too hard. But you know, I, I think look out for yourself as mm-hmm. well, look after yourself um, because it, it's an industry that is very, it works people really hard, uh, people are under pressure, there, it isn't lucrative, there isn't money around and it, and it can be easy to, to work too hard and to be slightly taken advantage of. So kind of keep, follow your instincts and keep, keep wise. Mm-hmm.
1: I would say like be open to new experiences and just be open to being to surprising yourself basically Mm -hmm. because a lot of the stuff that I ended up doing like presenting podcasts or doing videos if you asked me about doing that during uni I would just say no no Mm -hmm. no thanks I just want to like sit in a room and write and Mm -hmm. you know do interviews and Mm -hmm. things like that and I said yes to a lot of things that initially I was like, oh no, like there's going to be a disaster or yeah, this is just, you know, stuff that I don't want to do. And then surprised myself with how much I enjoyed it. And I think if you kind of leave that flexibility in your life, you actually end up doing a lot of really cool, fun stuff that you might have never expected you would end up doing at university 10 years ago. So I just revealed my age there, but you know what I mean? <laughs>
3: nah,
0: That's really good advice. Yeah. 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 I think I'm that is, yeah. to take yeah. that advice yeah. myself. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah true
0: thank you that's a lovely way to end um thank you very much guys this has been truly amazing for conversation for me so i uh, thank you guys and i thank you all for your time thank, so. you. thank so nice you, much. Take you care. Yeah. we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of lcc's value talks podcast keep up to date with future episodes and the latest on life at the college by following us on social media you can check out our youtube channel by searching for london college of communication and also follow us over on instagram tiktok and twitter at lcc london thanks for tuning in see you next time